This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. About a year ago here on the show, we were talking about the Loch Ness Monster. And the reason is that a University of Otago geneticist had been doing some research into the DNA found in the water of the Loch Ness and was hoping, through that work, to figure out if there was any unusual kind of DNA activity in the water and therefore maybe be able to solve the mystery of the Loch Ness Monster. Well, now it's been a year. The research has been done. And of course, we want to know what did they find? So joining us once again to talk about this is Professor Neil Gemmel, Ag Research Chair in Reproduction and Genomics at the University of Otago in New Zealand. And Neil, thanks so much for being back with us today. Oh, thanks so much to me. Appreciate the interest. Well, I'm excited to hear about what you found. So tell me about the process of the work that you were doing. Okay, so it's relatively simple. So the basic premise is that life is messy. As we move through our environment, we shed pieces of skin and hair and what have you, and and all organisms do this, basically, all large organisms. And we're collecting that detritus of life from the water uh, using effectively a molecular net to collect that cellular material and extract the DNA from it And then we use that DNA and we sequence it to figure out what species are living within a particular environment. So for big things, we're we're just picking up little pieces of cells from them. For the small things, we're actually picking up the entire organism. But we get a very large census of life from a relatively small volume of water. Okay, so you thought this would help you figure out if there was anything in the water of the Loch Ness that shouldn't necessarily be in the water. Is that right? Yeah, that's roughly it. So we're looking for things that are a bit different, obviously, from what we might expect based on our understanding of life in the lock. Right. So what we hoped we'd do is we'd describe all the species that uh, we, could, we could find from vertebrates right through to bacteria, and then we would be able to look at those species and say, is there anything in there that's just a little bit surprising? Okay. And nobody, and so that's effectively what we've done. Nobody had done that before? No, nobody's ever used environmental DNA to study Loch Ness before us. And in fact, the sort of project of the scale that we've undertaken is extremely rare. So we took 250 samples across Loch Ness uh, at the surface, at uh, 50 metres down, 100 metres down, and right down into the depths of Loch Ness, about 200 metres down. So the deepest point in Loch Ness is about 227 metres down. So it's a very large, very deep body of water. All right, Neil. So what did you find? Tell us. Okay, so what did we find? Well, the reassuring thing is that we found most of the things we expected we'd find. So if you look at the fish, we find all the fish species that we know are in Loch Ness. Uh, but then we went out and we tested a number of hypotheses that have been put forward to explain the, the monster myth and what people have uh, reported seeing for um, decades now. So one of the ideas that was put forward was that there might be an extinct marine reptile, a plesiosaur or something like that, uh, that that's swimming around in Loch Ness. And the short answer is we find absolutely no evidence for a plesiosaur or indeed actually any large reptilian-type creature in the Loch Ness uh, water samples that we took. Can we exclude plesiosaur completely as a hypothesis? No, we can't. But we can, all we can say is we've got no evidence. Okay, but did you find anything that made you go, hmm, okay, that's worth a deeper mm, look? Yeah, yeah, so we looked at fish because I always thought fish was probably a good, a good explanation because they don't have to come up to the surface to breathe. So they can stay submerged for a long period of time and you might only see them rarely. We looked for giant catfish and sturgeon and we didn't find those. But we did find an awful lot of eel DNA. And one of the early ideas around the Loch Ness uh, sightings was that there might be 
some sort of unusually large eel that might be breaking the surface and uh, explaining what people were seeing. So we don't know if the samples that we've uh, sequenced are from a giant eel or an extremely large eel. Um, all we can say is that there's an awful lot of eel DNA in the lock and that we can't exclude the possibility that a giant eel might be an explanation. Okay, when you say awful lot of eel DNA, how noticeable was that? Well, it was, it was pretty abundant. Um, so when we look at our 250-odd samples, we find significant uh, evidence of eel sequence in most of those. And that's both at um, the surface and right down into the depths of the lock. So there's, there's pretty much not a site within the lock that we don't find eel. And you can contrast that to a species like pike, which is also present in the lock, but might have only been found in maybe 15 or 20 sites out of the 250 we surveyed. So eels are probably abundant and also uh, frequently encountered uh, by our environmental DNA survey. Okay, so are eels known to be in the Loch Ness? Like, have they been seen there before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we know there are eels there. It's just the sheer quantity of them. I think teeming would be the word we would Ooh. use. Um, it has a large number of eels. Uh, in comparison to things like uh, Atlantic salmon and char and other freshwater fish species that we know are in Loch Ness. So um, I think that was a surprise to us, is that just the sheer abundance of material that we observed. Right. So is that something that you should, should have been visible then? If there was that much eel DNA, you should be able to see that many eels. Well, you can certainly see eels on underwater cameras. I mean, they're not shy. Um, I mean, obviously, they're predominantly nocturnal. But, yeah, look, we knew there were eels there. It's just that the numbers seem quite large. Um, and maybe there is a big eel in there. Who knows? Okay, so then what do you do now with this, Neil? What do we do now? I guess, so there are a couple, I mean, we don't know specifically if it's a large eel, but we do know from other studies of genetics that there are some genes that are associated with large body size and things like ourselves and mice and dogs and a variety of other species. So we could go looking in our real DNA for those specific genes and see if there are any mutations that are associated with um, accelerated growth or large body size. So that might be something we could do in the future. Um, and, and there's also the possibility to go back and do the study in a more exhaustive way. Right. So do you think this, for you, does this definitively answer the question of what is not in the Loch Ness? Well, proving things aren't there is really hard. All we can do is really prove that things are there. So there is always the room for um, people who want to believe in the monster to say, oh, well, you haven't sampled adequately. Um, and that would be a fair criticism. So we took 251 litre samples from a body of water that is 7 billion cubic metres. So uh, literally uh, a very small amount of water from a very large body. Um, and if we took more samples and larger amounts, then perhaps we'd detect more species than we have um, already. But as I said, we, we picked up every single fish species that we expected to see there. So we think there is uh, robustness and fidelity in our approach. So I'm, I'm reasonably confident. Plus, if we wanted to make it bigger, boy, that would be a really expensive experiment. Um, and we could also sequence uh, more and, and, and at more depth and in a, not in a random way as opposed to a targeted way, which is what we've done. Right. So you're not done yet then? Well, when's the project ever finished? You know, that science is one of these things that always has uh, some element of uncertainty and doubt associated with it. 
and the best way to remove that is to replicate work and expand it. Um, so I think what we'll discover is that others will come back and redo our study in different ways. We might be involved, we might not. Um, if you look at sonar, for example, there have been many, many sonar studies of Loch Ness. None of those have found any evidence of a monster, but it doesn't stop people coming back and using the technique. And I suspect with environmental DNA, people will come back and use the technique uh, to see if they can find evidence of a monster. But the real beauty of this is that, monster or not, we're collecting a phenomenal amount of information about what is in Loch Ness uh, today, or more accurately, June 2018. And that forms a baseline that we can, that we can use to check to see if, if there are changes over time. If the lock gets more polluted over time, does the species um, composition that we see in the Loch Ness uh, alter? And I think this is important information that will give us better tools to manage our environment, uh, which, if we're very blunt, is in big trouble. And we need all the tools we can to help. Well, it sounds like your work is actually just starting. Neil, thank you so much for joining us. You're very, very welcome. Thanks so much for the interest. So that's so interesting. That is Professor Neil Gamel, the Ag Research Chair in Reproduction and Genomics at the University of Otago uh, in New Zealand. They examined the DNA in water. They wanted to see what's in the water.